Section 7 of A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Caroline Sears. A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories by Caroline Ticknor. Mrs. Hudson's Picnic. Mrs. Hudson especially disliked picnics, and never went on them if she could possibly help doing so. But in this instance, circumstances over which, at best, she had very little control, decidedly got the upper hand of her and forced her to submit gracefully. Circumstances, in the guise of a dozen or more young people, attacked her on every side, in the breakfast room, on the hotel piazza, and even in the seclusion of her own apartment, to which she fled in vain for refuge. Here the enemy tapped aggressively, and entered triumphantly to seat themselves upon her trunks and continue their persuasions. They said that none of the mothers would go on a picnic up the river with them, but that she was so lovely they knew she wouldn't refuse. Moreover, they added that all the girls in the hotel adored her, and the young men had been heard to declare that she was perfectly fine. They concluded by saying that they would rather have her than anyone else, for everything depended upon the chaperone. There were plenty of stupid people that they could get if they wished to, but they wanted somebody bright and interesting, like herself. When Mrs. Hudson crossed the parlor, two or three sweet young girls twined their arms about her, and if she stepped into the office for a moment, a couple of young fellows joined her and hung upon her casual remarks with breathless interest. In short, there was nothing for a kind-hearted woman to do but to consent to chaperone such appreciative young people. "'Mother says that she would have gone if she were not so timid in a boat,' one of the girls announced. And, "'Aunt Mary is afraid of the river in the evening on account of her sensitive throat,' put in another. "'We're so glad that you're not one of the delicate kind, Mrs. Hudson.' Mrs. Hudson smiled faintly. She was miserably timid in a boat herself, and also wretchedly sensitive to the dampness of the river.' but she made up her mind that even an attack of bronchitis would be preferable to dispelling the exalted illusions which were cherished regarding her. The young people, having obtained her unwilling consent, at once went ahead with their preparations, after assuring her that she needn't worry about anything, unless she felt like looking after the luncheon, which was only a trifle, of course. The charge of this small detail she readily assumed, and in consequence brought down upon herself the wrath of the not-too-obliging proprietor, who overheard her speaking about it to the head waiter, and availed himself of the occasion to announce that he was tired of this lunch business, that he had had enough of it, and that he had already told the young people so two weeks ago. These and other similar remarks made the prospective chaperone wish that she had undertaken to superintend any other detail than this, despite its triviality. She discovered soon, however, that there was a still more serious phase attendant upon the getting up of a small picnic. If it had been a big picnic, everybody would at least have had an invitation, but being a small one, only a select few could be so favored. And the pioneers went ahead and asked whom they chose, and then screened themselves behind the fact that it was Mrs. Hudson's picnic. It was useless for her to assure the indignant relatives and supporters of those not asked that she had nothing to do with it, for they did not believe her, and the result was averted glances when she entered the dining room in place of the usual friendly greetings. The morning dawned in cloudy uncertainty, 
which is by far the most aggravating thing a picnic day can do. Mrs. Hudson ventured feebly that it looked like rain, but was at once overruled and convinced that the day would be all the finer for a cloudy beginning, and that they might feel sure of superb moonlight to come home by. About noontime the sun peeped cautiously out for a half hour, and, by doing so, confirmed everybody in the belief that it had cleared off gloriously. With a deep sigh, born of desperate determination, Mrs. Hudson stepped unsteadily from the boat landing onto the gunwale of the boat which was waiting to receive the chaperone, and nearly capsized it at the start. "'I asked you not to step on the gunwale, Mrs. Hudson,' exclaimed the young man who was assisting her, with as much politeness as he could summon after fishing up his coat and one of the cushions which had been jerked overboard. "'Yes, I heard you,' gasped Mrs. Hudson, humbly, "'but I didn't know what the gunwale was.' If you had said you meant the edge, I should have been more careful. Five other boats and one canoe were needed to contain the entire party, and finally, after much discussion and changing about, the picnickers were found to be actually all aboard. Mrs. Hudson, having discovered what the gunwale was, grasped it firmly with both hands as she sat in the stern of the boat, and a moment later acquired more wisdom by getting her fingers pinched against the end of the pier as she swung about. "'Where's the luncheon?' somebody inquired loudly. "'Didn't you bring it down with you, Tom?' somebody else called out. In response to this, Tom was seen to leap ashore and disappear in the direction of the hotel. "'We'd better start ahead,' someone shouted, and the other boats were promptly headed upstream. Mrs. Hudson leaned against the damp cushions in the stern and watched the scudding clouds a little uneasily. By the time the picnic pines, which were two miles up the river, came into sight— the scurrying clouds had begun to descend in pattering raindrops. Out came the Macintoshes, and up went the umbrellas, but everyone remained cheerful. Only a shower, several voices announced gaily. It proved to be a very heavy one, and Mrs. Hudson tried to hold her umbrella over the oarsman nearest her. He begged her, however, to shelter instead his pet banjo, which was tucked under one of the seats. Just keep that dry, Mrs. Hudson, he said, and I don't care how wet I am. Mrs. Hudson took off the cape of her Macintosh and wrapped it around the banjo, and held her umbrella tenderly over it while she sat with her feet in a pool of water, and the boat grew momentarily more and more wet and slippery. "'Here we are,' somebody called out, and Mrs. Hudson peered from under her umbrella, and had the satisfaction of seeing the picnic pines rising gloomy and damp before her. It was still raining, though less heavily, as the unhappy chaperone with the precious banjo clasped to her heart, jumped heavily from the boat into eight inches of soft mud, and clambered up a steep and slippery bank, followed by the dripping picnickers. "'Don't any of you think of sitting down unless you wish to have pneumonia,' she exclaimed, warningly, as she stood under a sheltering tree and peeped at the banjo to see if it was uninjured. "'This won't last long,' several voices assured her. "'It's beginning to break away already.' And sure enough, a bit of blue sky was really visible, and a moment later the drops ceased to fall. Mrs. Hudson picked her way over the wet pine needles and murmured, "'I hope it will dry off a little before we have our supper.' "'Where is that other boat with the supper in it?' one of the young men inquired, and everybody now looked anxiously down the river for it, but no boat was in sight." "'It's great fun to be up here in the wet without any supper,' one or two began to grumble. "'I don't believe they'll come at all now,' 
another said gloomily. They probably put back when it began to rain. And took it for granted that we would do the same, concluded a third mournfully. Perhaps we had better go back then, Mrs. Hudson suggested timidly, casting a longing glance toward the boats. But nobody seconded her motion, and the young people began to explore the grove or seated themselves on the rocks near the water to watch for the missing boat. The chaperone spread her mackintosh upon a board and sat patiently down upon it. She tried to be bright and cheerful and thought up all the jokes and conundrums that still lingered in her memory, and even told one or two funny stories, a most unusual feat for her. In the course of half an hour, a welcome speck hove into sight, and all set up a grateful shout. The supper! It has come at last! And a few minutes later, the delinquent Tom scrambled ashore, all unconscious of the anxiety he had occasioned, exclaiming, I should have been here before if I hadn't anchored under the bridge to wait for the shower to be over. Seated cross-legged about a friendly rock, the picnickers joyfully passed the sandwiches around in a couple of moistened box covers and regaled themselves with ginger pop and hard-boiled eggs, which were not boiled as hard as they should have been. Now this is something like, they cried out as the salt, wrapped in a piece of newspaper, went from hand to hand. One of the young men knocked the head off a bottle of olives, cutting his finger in the process, and then set the bottle down beside the chocolate cake, where someone immediately tipped it over, thereby saturating the cake with brine. This did not injure the cake any, however, as several critics tested it and declared that it was delicious, and tasted much improved in consequence. All kept asking Mrs. Hudson if it wasn't great fun, and she tried to say conscientiously that it was, though she had hardly recovered from the effects of having a bottle of ginger ale poured over her before one of the young men, in his efforts to open a box of sardines with his knife, set the whole of it into her lap upside down. Mrs. Hudson shuddered as she raised her bottle of ginger ale to her lips. She had always considered it the height of depravity to drink from a bottle. She picked up a hard cracker and bit it thoughtfully, after brushing off a stray ant which was running over it and mentally decided that no kind-hearted impulse should ever again put her in a like position. Supper ended, the young people, after offering to help the chaperone clear up the remains, strolled off in different directions, leaving her to restore to the empty baskets unaided the remainder of the hotel property. As she walked to the water's edge and threw overboard the last empty bottle, she heard the voices of the young people singing snatches of popular airs, and the twang of the banjo assured her that the instrument had come ashore unscathed, thanks to her protecting Mackintosh. But now, once again, the raindrops began to patter down. Alas for any possibilities of moonlight. Come, we must go at once, Mrs. Hudson insisted. It is raining again. The picnickers beat a hasty retreat to their boats, which were unpleasantly wet and uncomfortable by this time. The weary chaperone was handed hastily into her boat and staggered wildly towards the stern of it, assuring those who were helping her that she was all right, an assertion which she immediately proved to be false by tripping over a footrest in the darkness and sitting down sooner than she had intended in consequence and causing the boat to tip far to starboard. An ominous snap sounded and she rose hastily, but alas, too late, exclaiming, "'Oh, what have I done?' Why did you put it there? I've spoiled that lovely banjo. Harder and faster came down the rain, as silently and with all possible speed the six boats and the one canoe flew homewards, 
Never had two miles seemed so long before to Mrs. Hudson. She sat in terrified suspense, expecting that every moment would be her last, as she was rushed along in the darkness. Once they ran aground upon a small island, and again they struck the moorings of an absent fishing craft sharply. But at last a welcome thump told that the pier had been safely reached. The rain fell fast and piteously, as Mrs. Hudson stood upon the wharf and waited the arrival of the canoe, which had fallen far astern of all the other boats. Now, as they watched for it, vague and appalling suspicions flitted through the chaperone's tired brain. Had the canoe been upset? Had the occupants been drowned? What should she say to their fond parents if that were the case? She could never return to the hotel to face their heart-rending reproaches. While she was meditating upon some means of escape from such a dreadful possibility, the canoe glided quietly up to the wharf. But in the anxiety that she had endured in those ten awful minutes, Mrs. Hudson felt that she had added ten years to her age. "'We have had a magnificent time in spite of the showers!' cried the picnickers as they flocked into the hotel office, wet and bedraggled. Mrs. Hudson would have smiled at the word showers, had she felt energetic enough to do so. But as it was, she only ordered hot lemonade and dragged her tired frame upstairs. She arose the next morning with a severe cold on her chest, which lasted for many weeks, and ascended to be greeted by the reproaches of the mothers of those who went upon the picnic because she let them stay out in the rain, and to be coldly avoided by those others who were not favored with an invitation to her picnic. And as she sat alone and miserable in the parlor with her chetta shawl drawn up about her ears, these words were wafted towards her through an open window. If we could have had a real jolly chaperone, it might have been some fun, but she is a perfect stick, and the only thing that she could do was sit down on Harry Carter's banjo and smash it. End of section.